you only get one temple. You don't get another body. So do you want a body with diabetes and you want to be overweight? Do you want to have other ailments uh, starting whenever it starts? I don't know, 45, 50, 55, 60. Or do you want to be someone whose temple is just this fine, fine-tuned thing that uh, is taken in the right the right uh, ingredients is being active and there's obviously research that shows like those blue zones these people that do eat a certain way and have certain level of activities have so much longer life life uh longevity so that's the point of this like it health is so important because god gave you one temple and he wanted you to manage it and steward it well so i think what you're doing is is just right on point Welcome to episode two of a Father's Flame podcast. I'm excited today. We have with us Scott Laird. He's the CEO of Laird Wellness, Director of Biblical Health and Development for A Rude Awakening International. He has been married for 26 years, has two adult children. He is a doctor of naturopathy, and we might get clarification on how to say that in a minute. He has written two books. He has an extraordinary ability green card. He's come from Canada. And so welcome today, Scott. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit more about this extraordinary ability green card holder? Okay. This is a kind of interesting story. So uh, years ago, 2008 and previous, uh, I'd worked for an ad agency in Canada. And one of my main jobs there was to do advertisements for genetically modified seeds. And, you know, we lived in a rural area that was a big thing for the farmers there. And so I was doing all this kind of stuff. And then lo and behold, uh, I got this job opportunity in North Carolina. We're in Saskatchewan, Canada, the furthest thing away from North Carolina. And it was just, uh, you know, maybe that's a story for another time or maybe for later in this interview. But that was a miracle in itself. And so long story short, we come down here and I'm working for an, uh, an organization called the Hallelujah Diet. And they teach that you can reverse cancer doing, a, you know, a diet going back to Adam and Eve. And that was the premise of the, the founder. He was a pastor and he had colon cancer and he reversed cancer by going to a vegan diet, lots of juicing and lo and behold, it worked. And so I worked for that for many years and, you know, I, I came here on a visa. So visa after visa after visa, that's how this works, right? You have one year and then three years and that type of thing. You just keep renewing. Well, eventually you run out of renewals and People say, well, why didn't you just go to a green card? Okay, well, a green card, the first thing the U.S. government looks at is whether you have a four-year degree or not. Well, back in the late 1980s, early 90s, all I ever had was what's called here in the States an associate's degree, a two-year diploma in Canada for uh, communications. And so because of that, I didn't fit into that mold. So I had to go about this the long way. And what I had to do was prove that, you know, not just, okay, we'll let you into the country. I had to, my only other avenue was to prove that I was a benefit to the United States. And I was thinking, how am I going to do this? So in the middle of all this, I had started learning, I had studying and got that thing on the wall behind me over here to be uh, a naturopath, a doctor of naturopathy is what they call it. So basically you learn how to heal the body naturally with foods and lifestyle and supplements and that type of thing, instead of going the way of, you know, doctors, drugs and surgery and that type of thing. So I learned all this, started speaking in front of 
uh, folks. Like I do mostly to, as you mentioned, I'm from a rude awakening international with uh, Michael rude, who is the head of that. He's a messianic uh, minister. And, uh, he said, Hey, Scott, I'm into health. You're into health. I want you to do a health show. So he gave me this health show. So between that and uh, events that he held for Passover, which had like 500 plus people and that kind of thing, I got opportunities to speak in front of a lot of people. I didn't know it at the time, but that's what I needed to have in my repertoire to prove to the U.S. government that I was, quote unquote, a, uh, an, a an asset to the United States. And I had to get that. One of the craziest things was they said, well, you need letters. Uh, this is a really hard thing. I mean, you, you had to get letters from around the world to prove that you are not only of national benefit, but international benefit to represent the United States. I'm thinking, I'm just this guy from Canada. How am I going to do this? And then God drops the idea on me. Hey, you work for a messianic ministry that goes around the world. Why don't you just send out an email and ask for letters? So, okay. So I asked the boss if I could do it. Michael says, yep, yeah, sure. Go ahead, do it. So I did it. I got letters from all around the world of people who were using the principles that I taught through a rude awakening on the health show to people like in, in uh, to basically to uh, military troops, to folks in nursing homes, to orphanages. All these letters came from around the world of people who were actually using what I was teaching in their space. And we gave all these to the government. And lo and behold, they gave me this extraordinary ability green card, which is the highest awarded green card in the entire country. <laughs> that's that's awesome. It's crazy. It was just like this miracle ev event, but it took, you know, it wasn't overnight. This took 10 years and, you know, visas, denials, you know, threats of having to leave the country, this type of stress. And it really builds your faith. I know that's one of the major, major things we want to talk about today. And it really changed the way I prayed. You know, it was almost like God was saying, you know, it, stop asking me, please this and please that. You're just going to have to go to the word and start declaring things and call them yours and consider it none. And you do not do not waver from believing that. And that was a really interesting exercise to go through, because once I declared those things in the Bible, for example, Caleb, one of the biggest things was I have it right on here on my wall. I'll take it off my wall here and show you. Says, claim it. Caleb quieted the crowd. And this is when he said, let's go at once and claim it because we can certainly conquer it. So that was one thing I went, okay, I'm just gonna claim it, it's done. I don't care if they're saying it's impossible. I don't care if the government's breathing down my neck, this is gonna happen. You brought me this far, you're not gonna drop me. And lo and behold, things happened one after the other. The more I believe, the more I declared the word, the more things happened. It I love really, that. It was an interesting thing to learn. And I think and unless you go through that, you're not gonna get it. It, it kind of just has to happen and you realize, oh man, this is because of things I'm declaring in the word. The word really is living and active. I mean, I'm proving it. Do you think you declaring it helped you believe it? Because it says like faith comes from hearing, like hearing the words mm -hmm. of Christ. So, yeah, hearing the words of Christ and also just saying it. I, I think saying. there's a lot of power in saying it. You know, what's interesting, I ran into somebody yesterday, I haven't seen in several years, and he's really into what they call energy medicine. And this is where they hook you up to a machine and it's one of these naturopathic things that I haven't gotten into yet, but it's for every ailment in the body. If we can find the, the, uh, the vibration that you are, your body is kind of missing and fill it in through artificial means through a machine and tuning this thing to a certain frequency, it's almost like hooking up a radio to your body. Mm -hmm. Um, you can actually reverse pretty much anything. 
And that comes from the whole premise that, you know, there's a frequency that comes off of rocks. There's a frequency that comes out when we're, we're talking here uh, off of our voices. And there's even some research to suggest that uh, the Hebrew language in particular is very creative. Uh, and you see that in the waves and the way things happen and, and the way plants respond to Hebrew and things like this. And so it's really interesting to see that, you know, when, when God created the world by just speaking, you begin to kind of get a better understanding and a new understanding of how this might have happened. And so I forget where we were going with all this, but yeah, just speaking the word is uh, yeah. very powerful, I think. And I think it's, you know, like folks who don't have a, a faith say you put it out there into the into the into the universe and things like that. Well, that's their way of saying it, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. We put that out there, but whether it's into the universe or you know whatever, it's that's what Yehovah wants us to do. That's what God wants us to do is to speak it, to have the faith, like you mentioned it, to actually say it. And once we say it, there's some kind of frequency or vibrational power that I don't think we fully understand yet that really has power. No, oh, that's fascinating. I, I mean, I think you're hearing it, so you're making, you're saying it, but you're hearing it to yourself. Um, so we know that's increasing belief. That frequency stuff is really fascinating. I'm, I'm, I've heard people like um, using that also to kill, kill certain parasites because they don't like certain frequencies and different things. But I haven't researched it in depth. But that is that's yeah. great. It's the same premise as, you know, uh, we, we have all seen the, the opera singer who sings at such a high note that it breaks a crystal glass. It's the mm -hmm. same thing, right? Except it'll kill a parasite. Yeah. Wow. We, yeah, maybe we'll dig back into this. Um, I want to start with kind of where you're at in business right now, what you're working on. Um, I think this is going to be, it's really intriguing to me and a lot of people need to hear what you're doing. All right. So what we're doing is, uh, it was actually, it, it spawned from that health show I was telling you about. So with Michael Root, if you go to uh, Health Awakening, uh, if you go to a rootawakening.tv uh, slash health awakening, then you'll get to my health show. And what I do in that health show is I try to interview folks um, that really knew their stuff from a natural perspective. From working with this Hallelujah Diet company before, I had a lot of contacts. So I had a lot, you know, we talked with them. And of course, the best of the best, we talked to those folks because the, the Hallelujah Diet at the time was very innovative. And, you know, the biggest of the big teachers and doctors who really knew their stuff were, you know, using Hallelujah Diet as a platform uh, during their events to come speak and that kind of thing. So I knew a lot of these folks. So I would have them on my show. And once, uh, you know, a guest hears that you've got, you know, 100,000 YouTube subscribers, well, they want to be on the show, right? That allows them to, to, you know, tell their stuff and have a greater audience. So that gave me a bit of a platform to bring on really, you know, well-known folks. And so every time I brought one of those folks on, um, these are really innovative people, people like, you know, Dr. Mercola, and uh, if you've ever heard that name, mm -hmm. and all the folks who became really big with this whole COVID thing, like Judy Mikovits and, uh, you know, folks like this, uh, um, um, Dr. Zev. Oh man, I can't remember his last name. Okay. <laughs> it's escaping me. Anyway. Um, so anyway, folks like this who are really, really big in the news. So they would always innovate, you know, they never had uh, products that they would just white label from somebody else. They would create their own stuff because they, you know, they want something better. So every time I interviewed people like this, they always had their little specialty thing. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be great that if, if anybody saw one of these guests on my show that they could get 
anything somebody mentioned on there in one place. So that's where Laird Wellness, my company was born. I thought, oh, I'm just gonna collect all these things and you know get these things from wholesale from all these folks and offer it to everybody else. So that's where it started. And then, um, you know, that sort of went along for a little while and we decided, well, you know, we wanna make this a bigger part of our lives, my wife, uh, Jody and I. And so we, uh, we hired a business coach and said, what should we do? And he said, you guys need to be coaches. That's something we hadn't thought of before, you know, being a health coach. Well, we don't really do that. We just, we do a show and we know some things and we know, you know, how to recommend a supplement or two to people. But he says, no, you need to teach people. You need to coach folks. So long story short, that led to something we call the biologic blueprint. And so this is a, it was a six week and a 12 week coaching program. And we had all kinds of things that came along with it. And we would coach people for 12 weeks and have little videos and things like this. And we were just about ready to launch. And then go back to the health show. I was interviewing this guy named Dr. Tom Lewis. So Dr. Tom Lewis is a guy out of, uh, he's near Knoxville, Tennessee. And he is, he's not a doctor. He's a PhD. He's a chemical scientist or a medical scientist is what he calls himself. He's really good at math. He's, get this, he's got a PhD from MIT. So the guy's got some brains. And so he's really good at that. And he really understands the body. So what he did was he looked at, the statistics of folks who have cancer, diabetes, heart disease, all these killers everyone's afraid of, um, and looked at that and went, well, what are the parameters that all the folks who have these diseases, you know, what, what are they really high in? Is it cholesterol? Is it this? Is it that? What is it? And so he boiled it down to each one of these diseases has their own set of five biomarkers or five things you test in a blood test that would indicate whether you are approaching that disease or whether you're nowhere near it. And so he developed this algorithm so that when people go get a blood test, there's 55 biomarkers in this blood test. Uh, you go get this blood test and then he, you put it through his algorithm and he can tell you your risk on a scale of one to 10, basically your risk of developing diabetes, cancer, heart disease. It's, it's not a diagnostic tool. It just tells you how far are you along the, the continuum in life are, are you close to diabetes? Are you far out from diabetes? Or if you're getting close to cancer, what can we do? What, what biomarkers can we look at? And what can we do about them to turn them around and take you back to health? So I interviewed this guy and it was a really fascinating blood test I find out and, and the algorithm and all that that goes along with it. And he says, how would you like to make that as part of your coaching program that you're starting? Because I told him what we were doing. Now that thing has become the cornerstone of what we do. So now we get someone to go through this blood test, we see what they're up against, and then we actually customize an eight-week plan that we just launched now uh, to, instead of a six-week or 12-week, it's just eight weeks now, that basically leans on their blood test, what they need to do, and then that is customized for them all the way through the eight weeks to try and turn things around. Something I've looked into before, and I, I like that you're bringing this out as a product for people because you, you don't really know where to go to get blood work like that because it seems like like my normal doctor like we can get some labs right um but what are what are these five can you say the five that you're testing well there, for? there are five well, like you you take get a set of 55 for for starters but you know the the ones for cancer are different than the ones than for diabetes like diabetes of course is centered around your a1c your triglycerides uh, all that type of thing. Cancer is more about your uh, your ESR, which is your erythrocyte sedimentation rate. Well, what's that? Well, you know, that's, again, one of those things you can hardly get from a, a doctor, right? The doctors won't test for this type of thing. So an ESR, erythrocyte sedimentation rate, is a fan erythrocyte, first of all, is a fancy word for red blood cell. So 
a red blood cell sedimentation rate. What they do is they take your blood in a test tube, they spin it around, and then they stop and set a stopwatch. And they see how long it takes for the red blood cell to settle. If it settles quickly, it means that your red blood cell, which is kind of like a, a drone, if you will, is running out of batteries and is coming crashing to the ground. And if it comes down very, very slowly, that means it's got lots of energy and, and no problems here. So basically that tells us deep inside the cell is an energy factory called the mitochondria. And so is, is the mitochondria working properly or isn't it? And from there, we can kind of go, aha, well, if your mitochondria is not working, that means you're not absorbing minerals because minerals empower the mitochondria inside the cell, which keeps the cell up. And if you're not absorbing minerals, well, that means you have a gut issue. Okay, now we can pinpoint what the issue is. So it's like little things like this, you know, doctors would never think of. They say, oh, mm -hmm. take one look at your blood test and you're fine. Another thing we do is, you know, on a lab corp, which is where we get the blood test done. It's, you know, there's lab corp offices all over, all over the country. And so you get to go to a normal lab corp, you get the blood done, you bring it, or it gets sent to us. And the beautiful thing about this, first of all, is that a lot of folks, especially after the last couple of years, are very leery about hospitals and doctors, and they don't really trust the protocols that are going on in there. So the beautiful thing about this is that it's what we call self-directed healthcare. You get the test done at LabCorp. You walk in, they take your blood, they send it to they send the results to us. We visit with you. And that's where it can stop. Your health insurance isn't going to find out about this. Your life insurance isn't going to find out about this. This is just you and us talking with a blood test you did privately. It doesn't have to go to anybody. That's what people love about this. They, they can direct their own health care. They can make their own decisions without anybody or any other agency, you know, pressuring them to do something. So that's the that's the beauty of how this thing works. So this is, they do it privately. That, I like that. It's yep. just... Now, of course, if you have something like Lyme disease or something that's communicable, well, then, you know, LabCorp is ob authorized or pardon me, obligated to let the, uh, you know, the, the health authorities know that there's someone with Lyme disease in our, that we tested and they have to let them know that. But other than that, uh, nope, it's totally private. And, you know, you get to make the decisions on what you want to do. So if you're looking at these biomarkers, um, like how soon could you say like, or find cancer or like, you know, way, can you do it way up before typical testing? Uh, I mean, I, I haven't even been ever offered any kind of testing like this. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, and no, this so... is unique. This is actually the, the algorithm that he, uh, Dr. Lewis created is actually patented. He actually <laughs> got a patent on it because it's that unique. So no one really has this. That's why everybody says, I've never heard of this. That's because it's, it's patented. It's, it's like his unique thing. So it, it, you know, on a scale of one to 10, for example. So I had a, on a scale of one to 10, my risk of cancer was 1.7 out of 10, because I had some things I needed to look at some higher sugars and things like that. So I had to bring that down. Some folks are way up at nine, which means if they had gone to a regular doctor, they might've been diagnosed as having cancer of some kind. Now, they can still take these results to the doctor and the doctors can say, oh, yeah, we, well, we need to do treatment and that kind of thing. OK, well, fine. That, that's your decision. But, you know, it, it doesn't it, we don't diagnose. We just say, hey, you know, your, your risks are very high. You need to bring them down. So it, it's this kind of thing where we're not looking at making a diagnosis. We just say you're very high risk or very low. And yeah, we suggest you go look, you go better go talk to an oncologist because there's something going on here you didn't realize. And that's a lot of it that we find out is, is people don't realize the the health troubles that are going on because things like, I'll give you an example, like my wife, uh, she had 
um, a bacterial infection going on in her mouth uh, from a, a root canal. Or not a root canal, pardon me, is a wisdom tooth. It was poking into her sinus cavity. Didn't realize that that was causing a problem because there was no pain. Well, lo and behold, this, this bacterial infection could have affected the rest of her body had she not done something about it. Uh, so she did something about it, but that's just it. There was no pain. There was no way to tell there was something going on. So this is not for folks who are saying, oh, I feel sick. There's something off. I need to do something. This is for everybody to say, hey, there's stuff going on you don't even know about. Maybe you should check it out. And another one of those things is something called uh, H. pylori. So H. pylori is a bacteria that dilutes your stomach acid. And if it dilutes your stomach acid, your stomach is not able to, you know, to uh, break down the food and therefore you're not getting the nutrients you need and it's going to cause all kinds of things well a doctor is going to say well it could be this or it could be that let's test you for this test you for that blah 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 we do something called a little h pylori test all it does is tell you to what degree you have this bacteria and if it's to a great degree we simply give you a supplement that gets rid of it and it's gone and now everything changes without having to go through all kinds of crazy tests that, you know, doctors are not really familiar with. They don't think of testing these things because it's not on a normal blood panel. Oh, that's interesting. So, so this is all included in just, I mean, can anyone do this one? Is it just one blood test? And then you also have, you said that your eight week program to yep. fix anything you see on there. Yeah. So the way it usually goes is we tell everybody, you know, just get the test done. For example, this test, so you're thinking 55 biomarkers, that sounds like a lot. Well, yeah, when you're sitting in the chair getting the blood taken, you're going to be going, you're taking a lot of blood. <laughs> you know, it's like seven, seven test tubes of blood. It's, it's quite oh, a bit. Wow. I mean, there's okay. a lot that they're going to test for. So you do that. Um, and yeah, there's lots of, lots of tests. So if you went through Lab, if you just went to LabCorp, you walked into LabCorp and said, hey, here's the list of 55 biomarkers that Scott does at Laird Wellness. I, I would like to get these. It would cost you over a grand. I mean, it's a lot of money. But because we do it so often, uh, Dr. Lewis has actually got a deal with LabCorp where you get all these 55 biomarkers and a whole hour long consult, everything for $349. I mean, it's crazy the, the amount of value you're getting this and the amount of information you can get for this. Even if you want to take that information to your regular doctor, you're going to have an arsenal of things. that's going to make your doctor go, you know, I never thought about testing for that, but now I have the result. Great. Let's, I know what to do about it for my end. Let's do this. You know, if you want to go that route. That's fantastic. So yeah, you could, you get the stuff on your own. You can take it to your doctor. You don't have to, um, you get some coaching. Uh, that's, that's great. Anybody can just do that, that, that uh, test. Like in some folks who are very up on their health and they've taken supplements their whole life and they're very good with their exercise and watch their diet. You know, some folks just do that test. I do the hour long call consult with them and say, Hey, this is high. That's low. You need to adjust this. Maybe do that. Maybe switch out this supplement for this one and you're done. They go, great. I know what to do. Thanks very much. And they, they go on their merry way. Other folks, it's, it's kind of like the reaction you just had. This is a fire hose. I, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, and then we say, well, you know, there's there's coaching if you want us to coach us, coach you through it. And most people, you know, they can understand most of it within a couple of weeks. But then the rest of the time, it's what most folks have trouble with is being accountable. I mean, that's for anything in, in, in a, mm. a believer's life. Right. Oh, yeah. So we've actually had folks who've done eight weeks with us or 12, uh, as it used to be. And they've actually continued for up to six months because they just, especially folks who live alone, they just wanted somebody to be in their face once a week doing a Zoom call and say, hey, have you done this? Have you done that? Did I? Did you do what I told you? You're not gonna get results if you don't do it. 
come on, let's go kind of thing. And they needed a coach, a literal coach to kick them in the rear end and keep them going. That's so, that, so that, important, actually, that coaching yeah. part, because for me, I just from January 1st to today, like I'm about 40 pounds lighter. Well, after like doing like 10, I don't know, 13, 15 pounds myself and kind of putting some back, I, I just hired a coach and it was like the, the thing that motivated me the most is that I had to go face to face with this guy and tell him my weight that week and check in. And it was like, I just don't like losing. I'm, I want to be accountable and I don't want to, I don't know, maybe disappoint people, but it was a motivating factor. So I, yeah, I think it's that's a human, it's a human important. nature thing, isn't it? Like just accountability yeah. of knowing that someone's going to be looking at you in the face and <laughs> asking you some pointed questions. So I'm intrigued a little bit. Like, so you say you got like these high markers for cancer. Like, is there, are you saying there's like supplements or you're saying diet is, you try to see if that can actually fluctuate on those numbers and then how, when do you test again to know that you're making an impact? So when you test again, so after eight weeks is not quite enough. So what we're doing with this new eight week program is you do eight weeks with us and then we're going to throw you out of the nest and say, okay, you're going to do a whole month of what we just taught you on your own. You're going to be accountable to yourself. And then after a month, you know, that'll give us like 12 weeks of, of since you started, and then we can retest. So, you know, three months is a good barometer to see if things are starting to change. Sometimes your body will be in the midst of still changing. And you might see what I call, you know, stirring up the hornet's nest, where some of your markers are actually worse than when you started. But that's good. That means something's happening. Something's moving and you're beginning to heal things. And, you know, before you heal things, the body kind of kicks back and, and parasites get angry before they get kicked out. Oh, so that's interesting. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, you can, it can be really interesting. There's what they call a healing crisis. If everyone is anyone has ever lost weight to any great degree, like you've lost 40 pounds, you might have noticed when you first started, you kind of felt ill, you know, when you first started and you kind of get it, maybe acne, like I'm 40 years old or however old a person is and say, I'm getting acne again, or gosh, my sweats really, I'm sweating a lot or, you know, the, the things I leave in the bathroom really smell different than they used to, <laughs> you know, things like, well, that's, that's everything coming out because when we, when we lose fat, this is an interesting thing. People think they have to lose fat, for example, to be healthy, but really you have to be healthy before you can lose the fat. And here's why, because all your toxins that build up in your body are stored in the fat. That's actually yeah. the job of fat to keep it away from the organs, right? So when you burn fat, what are you doing? You're, you're forcing those toxins back into your bloodstream. Well, your bloodstream better be healthy enough to handle the onslaught of those toxins. So you really have to, that's why some people take a little while. Uh, they're saying, I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not losing weight. Right. Because you've got some toxins and you, you know, your body's not even healthy enough to take that onslaught of the burned fat yet. So your body's waiting similar to when, uh, if a, a woman simply isn't healthy enough to carry a baby full term, the body simply will not allow her to get pregnant. You know, if someone's doing doing uh, weed and, and drinking drinking beer every weekend and having pizza, and that's that's the the end of her diet. Body body's going to say, nope, we're not having a baby in this environment. Forget it. So that's just God's way of protecting us and protecting our kids uh, from toxicity. So the, the same thing happens when you're losing weight and going through a what they call a healing crisis. Is these crazy things happen where it you know the, the onslaught of this fat comes through the bloodstream and you know, your, your feces and your urine can't handle 
getting rid of it all. So your body will push it out any way it can through acne, through sweat, through anything. All these weird things that start happening are just your body trying to push out the toxins any way it can. I have never heard anyone say, say this. This is, uh, I had acne pretty bad growing up. So this is really interesting. I had a bad diet too, though. And just that infertility that that's interesting stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. does, does this test do, um, like hormones and thyroid, like testosterone and estradiol and we can get into that. So what it does is it, it tests everything on a surface level. So he asked about cancer. Will this thing tell me I have cancer in a word? No it will tell you, you have a risk of developing cancer. For example, cancer thrives on sugar. So when you go get a a PET scan in the hospital where they've got a suspicion that you have cancer and they give you this dye to drink and then they put you in front of the machine and they see where the dye ends up in your body and they go, oh, there's the cancer. Why? Because that dye is full of sugar and cancer, it it will draw the sugar to itself as food. That's why it shows up on the PET scan. So why doctors feed you like jello in the hospital when you're a cancer patient? I don't get it. This is stupid. And so, yeah, it's cancer. If you got really high triglycerides, for example, that's one of the things that says, mm, you know, you're, you're kind of risking cancer here because that's cancer's favorite food and you don't want to give it a buffet if there's something on the verge of flipping the switch. Right. Because our bodies are always trying to stay in, you know, probably heard the term homeostasis. This is where our body is just trying to stay, keep everything level, keep keep the viruses down, keep the bacteria down, you know, give you a cold once in a while to make sure you get rid of it and then calm things back down again. And, you know, there's every one of us is fighting cancer every day. We just don't know it. Some of these and that's kind of a that's a catch 22 with some of the detection methods we have these days where they're finding things so small, for example, and, you know, they're finding like a, a, a tumor the size of a grain of sand in a woman's breast for breast cancer. And then they make really crazy decisions to have a double mastectomy. Well, who's to say the body wasn't already working on that cancer and it had it handled and you overreacted. You know what I mean? Like it's, wow. Yeah. I mean, it takes to, in order to feel a lump or something like that, that takes 10 to 12 years to develop. It didn't happen overnight. And that's why I always tell people, okay, if someone's telling you, you've got to have this mastectomy tomorrow or you are going to die. False, completely false. You have time to think about this kind of stuff. So do your research. If you still decide to do it and decide that's your course of action, okay, fine. That's your decision. But take your time. Don't panic. Just slow down, take some time, pray about it, and and talk to lots of folks to figure out what to do. The cancer is not going to kill you tomorrow, and it's not going to go away tomorrow either. I mean, when we correct things... um, through naturopathy, I'm going to come back to this in a second about how uh, cancer or how uh, genes and um, diet kind of play or diet and lifestyle play into each other. Um, it usually takes if we're going the, the natural route to get rid of cancer. And it, I've seen that reversed a thousand times. Uh, first of all, with the hell you diet that I used to work with. And now even now I see people reversing cancer using different methods, but it will take about a month for it to reverse every year that that cancer has been developing. So if a lump typically takes 10 to 12 years to develop, it'll take you about a year to reverse it doing a really aggressive natural therapy. So again, it's not going to happen overnight. Wow. That that was the other thing I was going to bring out too, is that, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, can we really reverse things by just eating differently or changing lifestyle? Yes, because 
there are genetic weaknesses. Everyone else has genetic weaknesses. You may have a more propensity to skin cancer and I might have more propensity to die or diabetes or something like that. But nutrition controls genetic expression. Say that, that again, you kind of glitched. Oh, I'm sorry. So uh, nutrition controls genetic expression. So even though you have a, gen, uh, a defective gene, uh, it may not do anything if you're living correctly. So for example, I use this example all the time. If you have a hand grenade with the pin still in it and you put it in the corner of your living room, yes, it's a threat, but if you never pull the pin, is it ever gonna hurt anybody? No. So nutrition and lifestyle, the way you live your life determines whether or not you pull the pin on that gene and let it go. So that's what we call epigenetics. If you've ever heard that term, that's what that means. Above genetics. It's something that will control genetic expression. Yes, you may have, you know, this is where people, again, uh, this, the testing can kind of get a little out of control when folks are saying, well, I have the genetic mutation for this and genetic mutation for that. And they make decisions based on that rather than saying, hey, what can I do lifestyle wise that would keep those things at bay? I mean, you can, you've seen people all the time who have cancer, but they keep it at bay and they've still got the, the cancer, but they live to 97 years old. Something else took them out. The cancer didn't tell, take them out. Something else did. And they've been living and managing that cancer their whole lives and it hasn't been an issue. A lot of what you're saying is just bringing to my mind, like I'd heard my doctor say that, um, so medicine for like thousands of years uh treated your body like it was a garden right and you got a plant you got a water sow seed it just takes time to, and then you prune and you just it's just like slow development but it things grow the, things are happening you just have to do these certain put in the right things um the right elements to get what you want to get the fruit where medicine kind of switch into this drug-based system that the training is like you're a machine. Okay. Something broke. Okay. Let's throw drugs at it. Let's throw this, 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 and this. And it's, I don't know. The mentality is like kind of opposite the way we should. It's like, we want to fix everything with a drug yet. No one talks about, well, let's just fix this with some diet exercise, maybe supplements, some, some other things. Cause it's not something you got to deal with. It's not killing you tomorrow. Like you got time, right. just it's, just till the soil, pull out the things that don't need to be there. And let's re let's get this garden back the way it should be. So you're more of a garden than you are a machine. Exactly. And here's the, here's the good example of that. So someone might say, okay, you've got cancer. You can do one of two things. You can reverse it. Like we talked about naturally, uh, over 12 months, or you can do six weeks of chemo. Okay. So fast versus slow, right? The drugs versus the, the garden mentality. So, Someone once explained this to me. His name is uh, Dr. Michael Donaldson. He works with the Hallelujah Diet, and he's their, their main guy who figures out what to put in their supplement formulations. And he says that it's like taking a finishing nail in some drywall on your wall, and you're either putting it in with a little tiny hammer or a sledgehammer. The drug is the sledgehammer. It'll still get the nail in, <laughs> but you're going to cause a lot of damage when you're doing it, which is what we know that chemotherapy does, right? It destroys your immune system. Your gut's a mess. I mean, it's like all your, yeah. I mean, it's, it's killing you. Your microbiome's messed up, everything. And yes, it'll kill the cancer, but it'll kill half your body along with it. Whereas if you want to wait and be patient and not panic and just do it the natural way, it'll still happen. And you're probably better off in, in the future too, because 
this is something people need to realize. Cancer is systemic. I don't care whether you've got a tumor here or a tumor there. Oh, it's a cancer of the brain. Well, that's different than cancer of the foot. Not really. Cancer will take the path of least resistance. If you have something inherently wrong, inherently weak, the weak link being your, your knee, for example, well, then you will get cancer in the knee. You won't get it in the brain or wherever. Cancer will go to where it can attack without you know, uh, expending much energy. So it's systemic. So if you have uh, you know, chemotherapy and all the rest of it and all this kind of thing, but you don't change your lifestyle afterwards, there's a high probability that that thing is just lurking around. It's going to attack you somewhere else next time. That's why you hear that. Like a, yep. a majority of people that do that, it comes back with, I don't know, five years or whatever. Yeah. And usually it comes back stronger. So you've really got to watch that. So you've got to make a decision. You've got to change your life. You've got to recognize that it wasn't the cancer that was a the problem. There's something in your life that was a problem. You might think, well, no, no, I, I live well. Okay, but if you have one of those, you know, genetic predispositions, you've got to be more careful about things than maybe other folks. For example, both of my parents had colon cancer. They both survived it. And they both changed their lifestyle afterwards. But that puts a target on my back. I obviously have a genetic predisposition for colon cancer. That means I can't be a carnivore. I need lots of plant foods. I need lots of fiber and this kind of thing and keep my colon healthy. I have to pay a lot more attention to that than maybe somebody else does who can eat McDonald's all their life and never have colon cancer. Yeah. And everyone's genetics are different. And yep. yeah, you. I have a grandpa who's 94 years old. You know, and then you got people, the average lifespan of a, a male is, I think is around 74 years old, you know? And so, yeah, genetics play a part, but the input into your body is probably the biggest part, right? Is that what we're kind of saying? It is. You're, yeah. Because you think about it. So our bodies, you know, if, if you think about it, I'm not going to, you know, bore us with all the details, but if you sit down and think for five minutes, you're going to realize the human body is a lot like a car right? So we've got a gas tank, we've got this, we've got an engine, you know, all that type of thing. So what is the most important thing you put in your car? It's fuel, right? Yeah, you get an oil change now and then. Yes, you've got to change out the wipers and the headlights once in a while. But really, the everyday thing is the fuel. That's like us too. You, the everyday thing is the fuel. Yeah, it doesn't matter if I it, well, it does matter. You know, there's other unhealthy habits like smoking or drinking or things like that. If you do that once in a while, those aren't the issues. The issue is what are you doing every day? You know, what kind of food are you putting? What kind of fuel are you putting in? You know, if you've got, I tell everybody, treat yourself like a Ferrari, not a broken down clunker. You know, if the Ferrari requires the top end fuel, treat yourself like a Ferrari. Eat the top end fuel. Don't eat the junk. Uh, there's a saying that says, you know, you can pay the grocer today or the doctor tomorrow. So, you know, like, yeah, yeah, food's expensive. Yeah, organics are expensive. But guess what? You're going to do that. You're going to live a lot longer. You're going to be better off for it. And really, if you look at it, the healthiest things in the world, for example, like kale, has more nutrients per calorie than anything else on earth other than, you know, what's under the sea, a seaweed. Seaweed is a little bit better than kale. Kale is one of the cheapest things you can buy, even organically. So don't look at the you know, the ribeye, the, the organic grass-fed ribeye that is so expensive. Look at filling your plate with the kale salad and doing this and doing the greens that are cheap and supplementing with a little bit of meat. If you think about it way back when, that's when you, that, I mean, that's what the, the folks of old did too, right? Even in the Bible. Yes, there were a lot of sacrifices and things like that. But day to day, you weren't killing a calf every day and fitting, you know, that was a feast time. What did they eat the rest of the time? Well, they were eating 
breads. And well, we can get into that one some other time too, but that, that's interesting what we've done to our own bread. But it was the things that grew out of the ground. Like I tell everybody too, like let's let's just take a step back, look at what God has created and be kind of logical about it. I mean, the whole point of our, our layered wellness, we have a, a slogan that says, make your health make sense. And so what that is, is basically just stop trying to overthink it and just look logically. So again, look outside. What do you see? I see green stuff. I see things growing out of the ground. Is that easy to get? Is, is, is someone standing in your way? Is it going to be hard to harvest? No. So eat that which is, eat, eat, eat what is most abundant, most abundantly is what I say. Yeah. And then those like things that. like, you know, if you have to catch a gazelle, well, that's going to be hard. That's going to be few and far between. So when you catch the gazelle, okay, eat it, have a feast. That's great. But that's going to be a little harder to do. So, and even like if, if you look at nuts, so nuts come in a very hard shell, like, you know, drop off the tree and it takes, you know, pretend you didn't have any tools with you. If all you had was a rock, that's going to take a little while to get one nut get it out of the shell, eat it, crack, eat another nut. Okay, well, what does that tell you? We probably should not be overdoing it with nuts. You know what I mean? So it's just those things that God has built into nature, we just need to look at and realize and and, and recognize, you know, that so many folks are doing the gluten-free thing and the, and the paleo and the, uh, and the um, ketogenic thing, which are not bad, bad diets. I mean, they're all pulling away from packaged foods and things, but uh, I know a personal friend of mine who's actually now allergic to almonds because they got so far mm. away from, you know, doing wheat or anything like that uh, from going gluten free that they just overdid the almonds. It was almond this, almond that. And now he's got an alert allergy to almonds at 55 years old. Never heard of that. That's never, yeah. Yeah. Watch out, people. Just from overdoing stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, God declared kind of what to eat in the Bible, like the, the in the Genesis one, the leafy greens right bearing seed with seeds bearing um fruit genesis you know, 129 yeah. yeah i was just talking to a friend of mine he spent like a year in africa and and he he kind of told me like kind of how they ate over there but even for say hundreds and or thousands of years here like people it was hard to like get fat based on the diet that they had like because you're having to work harder for it um you don't have enough chickens in the coop to eat a chicken a day. You know what I mean? Um, so the diet was more, yeah, you're going to have your grains, your bread, you could save up your grains. You could occasionally get the fatted calf, but that's an occasional thing. Um, so, and, and you're working hard and you're walking to work and you're carrying your tools. Like, so it's kind of a new discipline that we have to have today. Right. That wasn't always like the Kings maybe had those kind of diets where they probably had meat every day. And I've heard they've had King's diseases, right. Um, that the commoners just didn't have. Um, but we have to have now a discipline because it's so, it's like easy to get fat. Like you could just go out to eat for, you know, a month and you just gain five, seven pounds. Well, and you look at your, to your point, uh, King, King Asa in the Bible says he had a disease yeah. of the foot. Well, several doctors look at that now and they go, Hmm, a disease of the foot. And he was a king, so he likely had a lot of rich food a lot of the time, probably didn't need to get exercise. He was the king. So he could have very likely developed diabetes. What do we see with diabetics in dire straits? We see their feet going gangrene and having to be cut off. That's what a lot of people suspect happened to King Asa. Very interesting. Very interesting. So if people are interested in, in 
finding out more about this, this either eight week program or can they just do the blood testing or does it, is it, do you have to do both? No, absolutely. We actually, we do, we encourage the blood test first, especially if you don't know if you need any coaching, you know, let's, let's just get the basics done first and see if that's all you need. So yes, that is available on our website. And that's uh, we call that the, the discovery panel because they're going to discover what's, what's up and then, you know, go from there. So it's very easy to find. Uh, it's, it's on the front page of our website at, at LairdWellness.com, or you can just simply type in LairdWellness.com slash discovery. And that will also get you to the same place. But like I said, it's on the front page. It's pretty easy to find. And there's only one blood test on there. So you're not going to have to figure out which one it is. Now, we do have two options in there. One is very interesting. So one is the 55 biomarkers. The other one is something that came up uh, because of what's been happening in the world the last two years. So we have one with the 55 biomarkers plus a whole spike protein panel. So this is a whole nine extra biomarkers that will tell you whether or not spike proteins, either from having COVID or getting the shot, has actually caused vascular damage in your body, and if it's causing unnecessary clotting. And then we can tell you what to do about it if that is indeed the case. Okay. And that the hallmark of that, if you just want to you know, visit your doctor and get that one blood test, I mean, there's, there's several pieces to it, but the most important component of that is something called D-dimer. And what D-dimer is, is it, it recognizes debris floating in your body, which essentially tells you that your body is breaking down a blood clot. So basically there was a clot somewhere and it's breaking it down. And that's what we're seeing a lot of folks who, um, you know, who unfortunately had a lot of boosters and things like that. Uh, some people's bodies are not built for that. And they, these are the folks that are just, you know, kind of keeling over and, and dying unnecessarily. So Scott, so who should try to get this blood test and then who should try to like, who needs coaching, I guess, how would you, what would you say? If you are someone that, first of all, I think everybody needs the test, even just to have peace of mind to say, okay, good, I'm on track, I'm doing the right things, or holy cow, there's something I didn't realize I was doing here. Oh, I'm so curious. I yeah, and, and for 350, I mean, you look at that, and it's like compared to like tests you can get from, you know, your hospital bill is going to be like 10 times that in some cases, you know, where you can find out so much more with this. So I'd say everybody needs to get this regardless. Um, and usually, you know, we don't have folks who are, 25 and under getting this. But you know, once you've had kids or women, once you, you know, you're approaching menopause or in menopause, guys, once we start, you know, we start getting the gut we can't get rid of and going to the gyms a lot harder, you know, 40 years old, that's probably where you really want to start getting into this. And that's where a lot of our folks come from. 40 to say 75 is where folks are, are, are getting this thing. So everybody needs to get the test. Uh, anybody who's had the COVID shot, you might want to consider the spike protein panel just to see where you're at and mitigate your, your risks. If there's something going on, you didn't realize that's and in that, the test or is that something you add? That's uh, there's, there's a, there's a pull down where you can do the 55 biomarkers, which okay. is what everybody can get. And then the other one is 55 plus the spike protein. And I think that one is, um, is four and 95 or something. Not, not too many folks get that, but that, that was hot during the COVID times right now. Oh, it's I bet. waning, but, um, but yeah, so I think everybody needs to get the test and then who needs to do the coaching? Well, if you are somebody who's up on your supplements, you watch, you know, other uh, health shows and things like this and, and hear podcasts and all that kind of stuff, um, you may not need coaching. You might say, oh, yeah, I got this. I heard, you know, Dr. Mercola talking about this. Or I heard Dr. Berg talking about this or, you know, folks like this who really know their natural health. Um, but if you want to take these biomarkers and say, no, I want to be really healthy and I want to know exactly what I'm doing. You know, we can teach you for eight weeks. That's who would need the eight week program. And by the end of that, you will change your life. I mean, the first thing we tell folks 
is we give them a, like we do six weeks of coaching and then there's all kinds of other things you, you can read about there. But um, if you want to read about the whole program, it's lairdwellness.com slash eight weeks, the number eight and then weeks push right up against each other. So eight weeks. Um, and there's all the details there. But uh, one of the major things we teach, the first thing we teach is how to read a food label, because how many times have we picked something up off the shelf and we go, oh, that looks good. Put it in our cart and away we go. You need to turn it around, read the supplement or pardon me, the, the nutrition facts, read the ingredients. I mean, there's little things like that you'd never guess that are really, you know, bad for you. Uh, one of them being, you know, you, people are really into you know, ketogenic diets. And often it says keto on the front. People think, oh, that's good for me. I'm going to grab that. Well, if you turn it around, quite often the sweetener that folks are using so that they can call it keto. So, it, you know, it doesn't raise your blood sugar. That's kind of what the ketogenic diet's all about is using fat for fuel instead of carbohydrates and sugar. The ingredient at the bottom of the list of some of those products is sucralose. Well, sucralose will spike your blood sugar. And it's, it's meant, you know, it's kind of like in the, the whole realm of aspartame and things like that. I mean, it's not a good thing. If you want to do something like that, look for stevia or monk fruit. You know, this is one of the things that we teach folks when they, when they do a program like this. And if I can mention something about the blood test too, it's, you know, if at the, at the right-hand side of every blood test that you get from LabCorp, for example, they have what they call a reference interval. So let's take cholesterol, for example, this is a test that most people have done at one point or another. So it usually says total cholesterol. And then you have all the, you know, the other parts of it, the HDL, the LDL, the triglycerides, the VLDL, all that kind of stuff. But just total cholesterol, what most health insurance companies, what most life insurance companies and what most doctors want you to be under is 199. Total cholesterol be under 199. And it says that right under uh, the, the reference interval on the right hand side of your LabCorp report. Well, we look at that and go, okay, that's fine. There's all kinds of political reasons that it's 199. Believe it or not, back in the 70s, the reference interval was about 350 for total cholesterol. Oh. But since drugs were introduced called statins that bring down your cholesterol and people have been diligent to bring down their cholesterol, a lot of people went on the drug, brought their, brought their cholesterol down and other people saw that and went, well, I don't want to be on the drug. I'm just going to bring my cholesterol down naturally. Well, they went, oh, most people are under 250 now. We need to lower that to 199. You need to be under 199 or you need a statin. This is the political <laughs> mumbo jumbo that goes on with this stuff. But anyway, so you don't, and this is my, this is my point, be, cholesterol under 199, if you looked at the, te, uh, the, uh, the risks of actually having a stroke or heart disease, it has nothing to do with total cholesterol. It has to do with low density lipoproteins, which is basically really dense, oxidized, basically cholesterol gone wrong because you're not getting enough exercise to help keep things moving. Long story short, most cholesterol, we say we don't want you to be under 199. We want you to start at 180. And you're, if you're up to 280 or 300, we're totally fine with that. As long as your ratios between all the components that make up total cholesterol are in range. So this under 199 business, we don't do that. So we look at, okay, this is, you know, LabCorp's reference intervals that will keep you alive. And we want to go to a wellness interview interval. So for example, another one is uh, real quick is vitamin D. They'll say, as long as you're above 30 nanograms per mole, a milliliter. So 30, if you have a vitamin D reading of 30, that's what that means. You're fine. But if we look at how susceptible you are to disease, to uh, dying from COVID, there was actually a study done in Indonesia about this, uh, all based on vitamin D. Unless you're around 70 or 80, 
you're not protected from anything. So that's, again, do you want to stay alive or do you want to be really well? And we focus on what you need to be well. And that's our I, I've been looking for this information because you're right. COVID kind of got me and I'm sure millions of people just diving in for their own health reasons because it's like some just didn't make sense. Like the logic that was going on and just cookie cutter uh, protocols and all that. And that was kind of one of the huge things that I started getting on was getting on zinc, uh, vitamin D and getting mm -hmm. those levels up. Um, and it was for two years, I, I've been way less sick than I have been in the, in his, you know, my history, yeah. at least I, I want to get good information out there. And let me okay. preface with this. Like, so the whole point of talking about health and fitness and this, this podcast is goes out to a lot of like entrepreneurs as that's our target. Um, and people just working hard in business. Right. And they're just focus and go, they have to have some kind of fitness and health, right. To really, maintain that high level of uh, leadership and just activity. Um, and really, uh, I keep bringing up my doctor. I'm going to bring him on here someday. Great guy. But, you know, he really um, hit home with this point. And he's like, you have, your body's a temple of God, right? The Bible says that. And and it doesn't say exactly, well, so do this with the way you eat. It doesn't break down everything after that statement. So you got to take that statement and add some kind of like, think about it a little bit. Like you were saying with the acorns or the almonds, like if it's hard to get to, then you need to logically just don't eat a ton of that. Well, if you are a temple, that means you're something precious and special, right? And, and has a special purpose and we need to walk in that. Right. And I think God has revealed so much truth to us in the Bible that if you just even if you didn't understand it, if you just did what he said, you're going to be blessed and you're going to be healthy and you know, all those things. And the final point in that is that you only get one temple. You don't get another body. So do you want a body with diabetes and you want to be overweight? Do you want to have other ailments, uh, starting whenever it starts? I don't know, 45, 50, 55, 60, or do you want to be someone whose temple is just, it's fine fine-tuned thing that uh is taking in the right the right uh, ingredients it's being active and there's obviously research that shows like those blue zones these people that do eat a certain way and have certain level of activities have so much longer life life uh longevity so that's the point of this like it mm -hmm. health is so important because god gave you one temple and he wanted you to manage it and steward it well so i think what you're doing is it's just right on point, helping well, people. I love what you'd say about the temple, because you think about that. What went on with the temple? Of course, we all think of the temple in Israel, right? Well, what happened? We've seen all the paintings of what went on in there. So you only bring in the clean animals. You're not bringing in the junk, right? So you, yeah. those are the only animals allowed in the temple. What was continually going on in the temple? Praise to, to God, right? So that is continually going up. So you're, you're to have that attitude of, of of gratitude, if you will, and in thankfulness all the time. If you sinned, bring it to God, you know, make that sacrifice, make that, make that prayer to say, Oh, I, I, I messed up. You know, that's where the quiet space is the Holy of Holies, right? There was a very sacred space where nothing unclean, if you will, was allowed. So why are we allowing that into our bodies? All this man-made stuff. I mean, that's where we get into trouble. I mentioned a little earlier how Everybody's running to vegan, paleo, ketogenic diets, all these different diets. And, you know, if you look at all of them, you know, and a lot of them claim to reverse cancers and things like that. And I've seen it. 
But the main reason is not because of this diet's the best or that diet's the best. It's everybody's backing, each one of these diets backs away from man-made stuff. And we're just going back to the as much natural as we can. And that is really the secret of it. You know, and like you said earlier, it's, it's not complicated. You know, we, we, we overcomplicate stuff. Man, that's great. Um, I appreciate kind of that, the business that you guys have and your offering coaching. Um, I think that's going to be an excellent service. Might have some more questions about it too. Um, people I know that might be interested to see what all the markers you guys, you know, yep. what, you know, really can check for. Now, so. You asked real quick, I want to say you mentioned, uh, does it, men does it uh, measure hormones? It will mention, or pardon me, we will, uh, we test for TSH and TSH is sort of the uh, the tip of the iceberg. So it can have all kinds of things underneath that, but it'll tell us if, if something's elevated, you might want to do, okay, now you might want to do a full thyroid panel, for example, Oh, I see. Uh, things like this. So it, it can lead to other um, avenues. You might say, oh, we don't like that marker, but there's something there that we can't see from this one marker. You might want to dive deeper on that one. Yeah. And I, I had brought that up because the fitness coach that I had before I got started, I had to go get blood labs. And those were just some of the things he had me checking. Um, so actually, do you work in tandem? Does this work well? Like say if someone is going to about to go into like a, like a fitness program or, I mean, it seems like your blood test is very exhaustive. It is. We have, uh, several, I mentioned this Dr. Lewis who developed this. So he goes around to several places and makes it part of, uh, you know, wellness programs for corporations. So th this will be a piece of their puzzle where they'll do a blood test. Uh, there's a, a plant right now. It's a bunch of, I think it's miners, uh, coal miners, and they are all getting their blood done. And then what we're doing is taking those results, giving the folks, uh, the consult, telling them what to do, and then taking those notes and those, those results and giving them to their nutritionist on staff and saying, Mr. Jones has high cholesterol. You might want to look at this and if, as part of your wellness program, incorporate what we have found. Because again, it's not things that, uh, you know, a typical blood test is going to find. So it's actually helpful to programs like this to have this arsenal of results that they can now make uh, really good decisions with what they do. What about environmental things in somebody's blood? It, it wouldn't find anything like that or there's uh, other, again, you mentioned those... coal miners. So I'm like, you know, like in different industries, they might be exposed to. Yeah. And there's certain things that tell us mm, there's something here going on with metals. We might want to dive into metals, for example. Um, and then that's, a, that's an, uh, an offshoot kind of test. There was one test uh, we did. Uh, the 55 biomarkers and some metals for a fellow who did it for his wife and his wife had been exhibiting some Alzheimer's type symptoms. And he was like, there's something not right here. So he was trying to figure out why she was having these. Long story short, the, the metals test showed this one test of a high toxin that typically lodges itself in the brain. Uh, she didn't have anything else, just this one. And it had to do with a um, jet fuel exhaust. And we're going jet fuel exhaust. This is strange. So then as part of the test, you know, it's not just a test that we do. When, e even if you do the, that 349 test and, and the consult, it also comes with this 125 question survey that basically asks you, did you grow up in a house with lead? Do you let cats on your furniture? You know, do you catch colds often? What kind of restaurants do you go to? You know, and this type of stuff, just to figure out how you live. And that provided the clue as to why this lady was having this issue because she was 25 years a flight attendant so i asked her 
as you're preparing the drinks in the back of the plane and the snacks for the passengers, did you ever smell jet fuel? Oh yeah, they turned on the engines, the doors were open, we got used to it. So 25 years of breathing in the jet exhaust in the back of an airplane as a, as a flight attendant actually ended up contributing to uh, an Alzheimer's type state. Fascinating. Yeah, wow. it's crazy. So it's really good to know these things. You know, hopefully before you ever start having symptoms, you can start detoxing. And there's all kinds of different protocols you can do to get rid of this type of stuff. That's what I like that you're keep saying is like, and I had watched your um, one of your videos on your new eight week program prior to this. So I like that you had said that you were coming in and finding these markers before like the normal like doctors like the industry would even say there's a problem like you're able to see like hey just it's on the radar so be aware right yeah and one of those major things is if you uh if you ever do any kind of blood panel uh, a lot of folks do something called a white wbc uh is what the marker is called it stands for white blood cells so you know normal medicine will say if you're above fourteen thousand in this marker okay there there's something going on you have an infection of some kind that's why your white blood cells are up but we say, if you're above 6,000, there's an issue looming. Ooh. So a lot of folks are right around the 5,500, 6,000. It means there's something brewing there. And then you, you want to catch it then before it gets, you know, to be a $14,000 problem or 14, <laughs> well, not too, but a 14,000 account problem. I love that, that you guys are, I mean, it's like, you're very preventative. Like you're catching stuff way early you know, and yep. seeing things. So this is fantastic. Is thermography is that same type of thing. We don't do thermography, but that can catch, uh, you know, what could be developing one day into a breast cancer, for example, years ahead of things. Uh, even before a mammogram will pick it up, it's, it picks up because it's a, it deals with uh, heat. It's a, it's a heat um, photography or a, a thermogram. And so it picks up heat. So basically it shows that if there's heat around the breast, the body is busy uh, you know, there's basically a fever in that part of the body. Why? Because it's trying to fix something. Okay, now you can go, wait a minute, why is it trying to fix something? And that's way in advance of ever being, you know, quote unquote, diagnosed with any kind of like breast cancer, for example. Yeah, I'm loving these alternate options that people have. So hopefully this gets out uh, quite a bit and people can share it out. There's got to be thousands of people that need to want to do this or more, really. Uh, Scott, tell me about your faith journey to kind of where you are today. Ah, okay. That one's interesting. So I uh, grew up, um, again, I mentioned I was from Canada. So I grew up on the West coast of Canada in a town called Abbotsford, British Columbia, just outside of Vancouver. And uh, we were, you know, typical Baptists, that kind of thing. And then I went to a, uh, a Mennonite high school in Abbotsford um, called the Mennonite Educational Institute. And, uh, you know, over in Canada, you know, being a Mennonite doesn't, you know, we, we think of that as more of like a, a uh, Amish Mid type of thing or, you know, in some yeah, areas. Midwest. Of the US. Yeah, but it's really just uh, like I say, it's like Baptist on steroids. So <laughs> they, they just do, you know, we as, as a school, we just didn't have dances because dances might lead to premarital sex. So you couldn't have that. So you, you put a fence around that. You didn't have dances, you know, sure. that kind of thing. Uh, and there's absolutely no drinking, you know. So, you know, Jesus drank grape juice. He didn't have wine. That just wasn't the thing. So that that's okay. That's their mantra. That's what they believe. So it, that's the type of thing is, you know, just a, it's just basically a Christian high school. So I went to Christian high school and then I uh, met my wife and she had been saved, uh, so to speak, in a Pentecostal kind of arena. Um, some lady was 
going to the bars and, and talking to the young kids there who worked at the radio station and saying, hey, why don't you come to church with me? This is what Jesus is all about. So she did and she went, oh, wow, what have I been missing all my life? And so we together after that, uh, I met her shortly after that, and we were Pentecostal for a while. And then we, a friend of ours was starting a Pentecostal church and we served on his board. I was a secretary to the board and that type of thing. And then a friend of ours said, have you ever looked into the Sabbath? And this is about 2007. And we had never looked into the Sabbath. And my wife, uh, as usually happens, our wives catch on to things sooner than we do. And she was all into it. Yeah, I get this. We're going to do this. Da, 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 da. And it came to the point where I didn't get it because you know how we are with guys. We, we like, no, wait a minute. That's not what I learned during my lifetime. The Sabbath was done away with. Jesus nailed the, the law to the cross and all that type of thing. Um, no, I, that this is if this is the way you're going to go. I mean, we were talking. Maybe we need to part ways and, you know, divorce wow. type of thing. And I, I, I can't do this. I, I can't. All I've learned my whole life can't be wrong. Well, of course, once you get into it, you realize, well, you, you're not tossing out everything, but that's what it appears as, you know, when you first get into this type of learning. So as we're learning all this and, and meeting on Saturdays with our friends who are also on the board of this Pentecostal church, we couldn't ever tell the pastor this because he was absolutely no, this is this is of Satan. This is a bad thing. You know, the, the Torah was done away with. Don't speak of that in this church. And so we would meet with our friends and that type of thing. And then uh, lo and behold, the pastor one day says, hey, Scott, I'm going on vacation. I'd like you to speak on behalf on my behalf. I said, oh, OK, great. What uh, what do you want me to speak on? He says, anything you want. Who? OK, <laughs> so it's a Pentecostal church. You said I, anything. I said, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to talk about the Sabbath. I want you to talk about how Christmas is a misnomer and, and uh, you know, Easter is really Passover and just sort of clarify, clarify a few things. Oh, boy. Okay. So the pastor goes on vacation. I speak. Who is sitting in the front row but the pastor's wife? And I just lay it all out there. I mean, before the service, you got to know, as the, as the music's going on, I'm in the back row on my knees going, God, if you want me to do this, you, <laughs> if you don't want me to do this, strike me right now. Like, so I don't go up there and do this. Nothing happened. I went through with it. And uh, long story short, the next week, the pastor was such in a panic because everyone was calling me during the week. They were truly intrigued, but they didn't want to let the pastor know. So they're asking me, what about the Sabbath? Where did you get this from? What's, what about this? You know, like, wow, like I never heard this before. So we were answering questions as carefully as we could and saying, you know, just, just keep this between us type of thing. And the next week, the pastor had one of his... Uh, one of his instructors from his Pentecostal college come and give a talk to basically refute everything I just said the week before. And his presentation was called, get this, Jesus and the Torah, never the twain shall meet. Wow. And so, and guess who came to that? They made a big deal out of announcing this because they figured, oh, a lot of people have heard Scott's message. We have to unravel this. So they kind of put out a little bit more advertising than they normally would. This is just a little church of say a hundred people. But then 300 people showed up the week of that, the week that, that that Pentecostal teacher came in. And we couldn't figure out where well, my wife and I were looking around, going, who are all these people? And then we figured out later it was the local Torah observant congregation who had all come to hear what this pastor or this teacher from the Pentecostal school had to say about Jesus and the Torah, never the twain shall meet. And they went up to him afterwards and tried to ask him questions, and he deflected and left. He wouldn't answer their questions. 
Interesting. And so we began to know all these people. And over the course of time, you know, lo and behold, this, this became our church community. We ended up leaving the church. We said, hey, look, you know what? This is causing a divide with the folks. It's causing you a lot of stress, pastor. We would just assume that you keep your peace with your folks. We're causing a problem. We'll just leave. So that wow. we, we left voluntarily said, you know, we're causing a problem here. We can see that we're, we're just going to step away because we can't give up what we have learned. This, this would be wrong to deny, you know, the connection between Yeshua and the Torah. So we, we just have to leave. So that's what we did. We didn't get kicked out like a lot of folks did. We just voluntarily left. And yeah, that's interesting. It's like the, the church, like we have to teach the Ten Commandments, right? Because that's what unbelievers are breaking, right? That's why you need Jesus. But yep. it's just that that fourth one is, is kind of a booger right there. <laughs> yeah. Like that that's in there. <laughs> exactly. So long as, and then after that, you know, we continue to work. Uh, you know, I worked at this ad agency that I mentioned before and, uh, someone drops a, I still don't know who it is to this day. This DVD came in my mailbox. This is back in the days when Netflix, you know, you'd have to go and order Netflix and it came to your mailbox and, oh, yeah. you know, that kind of thing with the DVD. But uh, someone dropped a, a, a Michael Rude DVD in our mailbox. And I thought, oh, I like this Torah teacher. I, I had listened to people like Brad Scott and things like that before. That's what we were listening to when my wife and I were having such a divide over this was the Brad Scott cassette tapes. And uh, I was listening to these things and... I got so mad sometimes I just pulled it out of the cassette player and I tossed it in the trash and walked away. <laughs> I can tell you how many times that happened. But but what our deal was, by the way, when we were going through that was I said to my wife, OK, look, every time we have something that he says that, you know, I don't feel is right, we're going to look it up and see if he's right or wrong. The minute he's wrong, he's a false prophet and we're not doing this anymore. She said, OK. Was she kind of more leaning that way? The oh, yeah. She, than you? Oh, she understood. Yeah, she, she understood. Was. Okay. And so I, I would stop it and we say, okay, we look it up. We look it up. Every time I'd be like, okay, all right. He's, he's right on that one. Okay. So we move on. that. And never was he wrong. And I just, I had to basically give up at some point and go, you know what? I'm wrong. He's not wrong. So that obviously I have something to learn here. And that, that's where it started. And then like i said then someone gave me a, a michael rude dvd and and over the course of time you know we came to the us and we were still messianic through that whole time and then uh, as i was working at the hallelujah diet we heard that michael rude was going to speak at a congregation in charlotte we lived about what well, we still do 45 minutes away from charlotte we thought hey let's go see michael rude you know we got this dvd from him years ago i'd like to meet the guy so we meet him get chumming along, uh, get to know that Michael is kind of big on health. He loves health. I mean, we got to talking because I was working at this hallelujah diet place, teaching people to reverse cancer with diet. And he loved that. And he says, you know what? When it's time, you can come work for me. So eventually that time came. 2008, I started working with him. The very first week I'm there, keep in mind, I've been doing like maybe little videos here and there for the Hallelujah diet and putting them up on, on Facebook and things like this. Um, but no real broadcast experience other than radio. I've been in radio my whole life. I've never done any TV stuff. Michael Rood says the first week I'm there, Scott, you're going to start co-hosting with me on Shabbat Night Live. Okay. <laughs> and that's where it started. And that's where we are today. And uh, since Michael, I mean, it was a providential really because Michael ended up having a stroke uh, about two years ago and I've basically been sitting in his chair and interviewing guests of course I'm not the teacher Michael Rude is but but I'm interviewing guests from there on and and so it was a good thing he 
got my feet wet when I did. Cause now, uh, now I'm in the chair there. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So you're the main host of a sh that show. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I've seen you interview and I really love the guy you had on showing the, uh, the red sea crossing and mm. the chariot wheels. And it was like the Mount Sinai. Um, I, d I think you did. Oh, there's uh, several people. Was arc, that. And yeah. it was, man, that was, that's fast. I love Ke sharing Kevin that Fisher, out. Dr. Miles Jones. And some of that stuff has been refuted now, but by the way, if anybody's ever seen that, that golden chariot wheel, um, that is not a golden chariot wheel. It is turned out now to be uh, something from a more modern ship, but there are still some strange things along that strip. And it's not to discount, you know, we're not going to throw in the Red the, Sea in the Red Sea. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's what about the coral ones? There was like coral ones with like spokes, yeah, you know, that remains to be seen. Some folks are saying that that is a normal, uh, a certain species of coral will grow like that. I don't know. That's pretty specific to me. So that sure. remains to be seen. And and up until now, it's been difficult because the Saudi Arabian government, whenever Americans went diving there, there would be a Saudi police boat right beside them. And when the Saudi police said enough, you had to come up, take off your scuba gear. That was it. And you don't touch anything. You don't take anything. You take your pictures and get out. Okay. So now there's a lot more friendly uh you know, rapport with the U.S. and Saudi government, uh, because, of course, they are trying to push their new city that they are building called Neom, which is a huge expanse of a city. It's several. I can't remember how many times larger it's going to be than New York City. It's going to be Dubai times 10 type of thing. And they're going to have the best of everything. All the technology in the world is, is happening there. They are building it right now. There's cranes right now in the Saudi desert building Neom. And okay. what is going to be right in the center of that is what we do, we believe to be the real Mount Sinai. That's what I was going to say. Aren't they building it over Mount Sinai? They are built building right around it. So there is kind of a little bit of a panic to go and get as many artifacts and proof of that place as possible. Fortunately, the local Bedouin of that area are very proud of the heritage and the stories that come from the real Mount Sinai. So they have ended up protecting it. The uh, the altar to the golden calf or what is assumed to be the altar of the, altar of the golden calf. I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious, but um, there is now a fence around there. It is a Saudi archaeological site. So it is protected. It's not like they can just, you know, build high rises over Mount Sinai. But we think it might be end up being like a, a national park or something like that in the middle of it. So it will be protected to some degree. But yeah, that city is being built all the way around it. So because of that, they're building Neom. They're, they're, the Saudis are trying to build a rapport with the rest of the world because they want the world to come here and they want the best of the best technology. They want this to be the technolo technological hub of the world. And so, of course, now things are much more friendly. So that means next time we go down to the Red Sea and go diving and try and look at this site again where the Israelites potentially had crossed, we might be able to bring something up next time and study it. Oh, that'd be fascinating. That'd be great. You and your wife were like Christian, like fundamental evangelical church, right? And then so what, so with the difference today, you said you started keeping the Sabbath, like what, what are the main benefits of kind of what you're doing today compared to what you were doing? Well, you would say? we, uh, just, it's just, you know, taking that Sabbath day was the first thing and just recognize it think, recognizing that that day is holy and we are to keep it to Yehovah. And, you know, that was a real, I don't know if, what it was like for you, but for us, it was like, oh, nuts. I went shopping. I wasn't supposed to go shopping today. <laughs> you know? And we'd make mistakes along the way and we'd learn. But 
you know, this just learning to rest and, and realizing that Yahweh wants this day, you know, and, and all the other traditions that you learned as, as, you know, as part of the church kind of, well, let's put those aside and let's learn what's really important. And then the thing that got me was how all of the feasts of the Lord, the feasts of Yehovah basically tell the story of Yeshua's birth, death, resurrection, and second coming in order. I mean, that's what got me. And I went, wait a second. So there's a lot more tie here to Yeshua and the Torah than I thought. And then, the, of course, the more you learn, like I always say, the Bible may be this thick, but then the more you start learning about Hebrew and things like that, it gets like this thick. Oh, man. And, yeah. And, and, you know, that, and that's what we started learning in Canada when my daughter was seven. She's now 23. Uh, we had gone to the local synagogue with some other folks in our Messianic congregation. And we said, hey, we'd like to learn Hebrew. Would you teach us? And they said, yep, we'll teach you Hebrew. We only have one stipulation. We're not going to try and make you Jews. You don't try and make us Christian. <laughs> okay <laughs> deal fair enough <laughs> deal, yeah fair enough so we did and what was really cool is we learned hebrew from a uh uh from an israeli he was an israeli and he actually got called back to be in one of the uh to fight against one of the intifadas when we were there so his wife was quite worried about him but anyway this young couple what they do is kind of an exchange program where they send uh young couples from israel uh to come over to canada and the united states we were in canada at the time and they will teach the Hebrew classes at a synagogue. And so when we went there as these Gentiles wanting to learn, we would go on a Sunday morning when they weren't doing anything, and they would teach us the same Hebrew that they were teaching the kindergarten kids. And that's how we learned some Hebrew. And so we, we got to learn street Hebrew because they were from you know Israel. So we wouldn't learn the biblical stuff. We'd learn to basically, you know, if we dropped you in the middle of Jerusalem for a month, you could survive. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah, so great. we started to learn Hebrew. And as we, the reason my, I'm telling you that is because when you learn a little bit of Hebrew, if you've ever, if you and your listeners have ever uh, done that, you realize that every word in Hebrew is a sentence. Every letter in Hebrew is a word, you know, so it starts expounding like the meaning of everything. And no wonder there can be, you know, yeshivas going on for 2000 years where, rabbis and other folks just go in there and they learn constantly and nobody's ever finished yeah you know? that's fascinating i some of the great bible teachers i've you know learned from and is uh they you see how like hebrew is like a word is defined almost by the letters within it that are also numbers which just are also pictures each letter is a picture so like what you're saying it's uh, a language is and maybe it's not unlike any other one, but it is unique. It's compared to like English. Like we don't have that, you know. Where... Yeah, it's almost closer to like Japanese or something. Yeah, you know, there you go. They started it's a picture. Off and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's so much meaning in there. No, that's fantastic. Like, yeah, for us, we like we keep a Sabbath, but we also go to a Sunday church on Sunday too. Um, we did that for a fellowship. time too. Yep. Yeah, and so when you kind of find out, like a lot of churches don't like okay, the law of Moses and has done away or whatever they're saying. And you kind of realize, well, the Sabbath wasn't even given in the law of Moses. God gave it at the first week of creating the earth. Right. Right. And when he tells Moses, he's always, he says, remember the Sabbath because he, Adam and Eve were doing it, you know, right. God did it from the beginning. So doesn't that argument just falls apart quickly. So well, if and to that point too, I think one of the most important verses in the Bible uh, I believe it's Exodus 12, 32 around there, something like that. Anyway, it's, it's when the Israelites are leaving 
And it says, a mixed multitude went with them. And so basically, when, you know, it's the, the, the law, if people want to call it that, the Ten Commandments, when God shouts down the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, it's not just Jews. There is a mixed multitude from the outset that left with the Israelites. You know, it's like there have always been Gentiles in this. Like, stop trying to make it a Jewish thing. It's not. Yeah, because Egypt had conquered other nations, right? And they had yep. taken slaves and other peoples. And I, I'm guessing even some Egyptians went with them because yeah. you start seeing a God actually perform exactly what he says he's going to do. You know, you're like, well, I'm going to follow that God because uh, he's powerful. And, you know, something to that point, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Disney movie, um, Prince of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Back back when Disney movies were decent, you know, <laughs> and they weren't trying to push some agenda. But anyway, so uh, yeah. but in the Prince of Egypt, when you see the Israelites leaving, there's this two second clip. And if you watch it again, if you pull out an old DVD or a VHS, you'll see it. Um, there's uh, an, uh, an Egyptian guard standing there. And as he sees all the Israelites leaving, he drops his spear and follows them. There you go. For me, like for our family, it was like. It was like a justified way when I started learning about the Sabbath to actually stop doing everything else and say no to everything else to like focus on family. Right. And so it was, I don't know, it's just talked about so bad because I went to Bible school. I, I, you know, fairly well read in the Bible, but there's a lot of pressure, kind of like we were talking about doctors. Um, that doctor, you know, he, he didn't want to go again. He can't talk about that with his colleagues. Like, you know, well, you can't talk about some of that if, even though it's in the Bible with some believers, they just get so worked up and you just can't have the conversation. Some people are open, which is great. Yeah. But uh, no, when we uh, first started doing it, it was, it was just a justification to just spend time with God and family. And it hasn't been perfect. It's been like learning like, oh man, am I doing too much? Am I doing too little? Am I this, this? Yeah. And it's like, God said like so little about it compared to, what we what we really think there's there's not a lot that he says you know but to be focused right. on him you know and to get together with believers and and that's something that michael rude brings simple. out you know speaking of michael rude he's you know he's very big on on making sure that folks understand that when yeshua does something that looks like he's breaking the torah he's not breaking the torah he's breaking what uh you know michael uses the, the hebrew words the takanot and the maasim of the Pharisees. This would be their regulations and their traditions. The man-made stuff that convoluted the Torah, that's what Yeshua broke in order to basically stick it in their face and say, stop doing this. It doesn't matter. What matters is the Torah of God. That's not difficult. This has never been difficult for you. I mean, it says that in a couple of places in the Bible. Exactly. Right? This yeah. is the easy thing. And stop making it difficult for folks. You're putting a yoke around them that they cannot bear. That's not the Torah. That's the rules around the Torah. Yeah. And they, you know, they added 6,000 laws to the 613 that were there. And when you kind of understand, finally, when you understand that, you realize we know that Jesus was sinless. So he's coming, doing all this stuff. And yeah, the, they're saying he's sinning, but he's not really breaking the Sabbath. He's breaking the Sabbath that they had created with, um, all these extra things. And I had the opportunity one time to, there was a, a Talmud and it was like an encyclopedia Britannica size, uh, thing. So I was like, 
wow, this is my opportunity to see what is in here. I grab a thing out, I open it up and it's like, it is on the Sabbath. And it's like, Hey, if you, you know, bring something to your neighbor and you reach through his window and drop it in his hand, you know, he has the sin for catching it. Uh, but if you hand it through and he grabs it out of your hand, you have sin. But if you have your servant go and hand it to him on the Sabbath, no one has sin except your servant. And it was like, I got to see that example of like why there were 6,000 extra laws that they had created by the time Jesus was, uh, coming that it was just, man, it was just cumbersome. I, I can't imagine. And Jesus specifically says, if I keep your 6,000, I'm going to break God's law. I can't even keep the 10 commandments or God's law. If I try to keep yours, because you say you can, uh, tithe your spices and the things that you were going to give to God or sorry, to support your parents, uh, you gave to God. And it was like, now you won't support your parents, which we know it says to honor your mother and father. Boom. You can't even, you're, they're causing you to sin essentially. And, and there's been a lot of mis, I don't know, like the current Christians today, like we just kind of look at that inaccurately. Like Jesus didn't sin on the Sabbath, even healing because God cares about life. Right. Mm-hmm. And he uses that example. Like if, well, what if a donkey, your animal gets in a ditch, you're going to go get it. Right. That's because you care about that animal. Well, what if it's, I mean, we're looking at God's children with disease and ailments. You're saying God can't go and bring that child out of the ditch, right? And and allow him to heal his legs so he can walk for the first time in his life. Like just absurd that the Pharisees were mad at that, you know, yep. and then call that sin. And it's almost like what you're saying where Christians today call, oh, keeping a Sabbath, that's sin, that's evil. And it's like, that's just skewed, but, and that's just my opinion. But. Well, and even what to do with a, and this is my opinion too, but I mean, we lived it. I mean, it, what, what you do with a tithe. So Christian churches will tell you one-tenth of your income goes to the church, period, right? And so we did, I mean, we were leaders in a Pentecostal church. If we were leaders, we wanted to lead by example. So that's what we did. And then it was sort of to the point where, you know, is like that verse came up where we were learning the Torah and we learned that, wait a second, if you can't, you know, you're tithing to mint and cumin and all those type of stuff, but yet you won't even take care of your parents. Well, my wife's parents were not well off and, and they, you know, hit her stepmom was really getting weak. She had a disease and, um, they needed a, a dishwasher. They just couldn't do their dishes anymore. They just, you know, it was too much work for them. So we took some of our tithe and bought them a dishwasher. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You're looking after your parents instead of concentrating so much, uh, putting it into the storehouse. And that's the only place it can go. Look after the parents. You know, it's like David going into the temple and eating the showbread because he was famished. You know, this kind of stuff is not, you know, it's it's not a salvation issue. No. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it was it Matthew 26. I think giving to God too that Jesus says is like when you gave a cup of cold water or clothes or you visited in prison, um, or someone that was hungry, you gave food, um, you you gave it to one of these, the least of these, you gave it to me. Right. That's so that's something that I've been sitting on is like, or chewing on really to give to God, you can, you can give out not just money, but resources, uh, and just, take care of people like that's also giving to God and and serving people. Yeah. So anyways, we could actually, I think that is a real important topic really is giving and tithe. Like, uh, I think there is a lot of even unbelievers that copy that principle 
and are benefited from it, um, which is sending your money out, uh, you know, at least a 10th in some fashion to serve. Um, we know the Bible talks about even using your tithe to go to the feasts, uh, and spend them there on whatever you want, you know, like during the feast, like and buy people meals and have a good time. And, you know, it's a lot different than just cookie cutter here, straight 10% to the church. Yep, exactly. So, um, and then I was going to tie back the, like the Sabbath, like that concept, it, like even in business, you know, like people sometimes get so prideful about how oh, we go 24, seven, 365, we work hard. And it's like, you just weren't even designed to do that. So if in your business, like you got to take at least a day off, you know, and I think in this nation, some businesses have the privilege of taking two days off for a weekend. Um, but just think about that concept that God just said, like, let your servants, let your, everyone, you, yourself, everybody just rest that day, get time to focus on your faith and your family. Right. Um, so there's big benefits to that. I, I believe. Absolutely. On our website, you'll notice too, if someone orders anything, uh, the, the confirmation that they get says, Hey, by the way, if you order this close to the Sabbath or on the Sabbath, um, you know, we won't be touching this till Sunday, just FYI. Um, so because you know, that's what we want to do. Like this, this room I'm in right now used to be our dining room and it's converted into my office slash, you know, layered wellness kind of area. And on Sabbath, uh, we shut the doors. This thing does not get touched. You know, it's, it's like, if we do, you know, we've seen, I don't know if you've seen this in your, in your life, but you know, we always say that the closer you are to Yehovah, to God, the the shorter the leash he keeps you on. And that's for your protection, right? Because you're becoming closer to him. So you're, you're more, if you will, you're more precious to him because you're obeying more so he can use you more. And, and you know, if you go off track, he's going to like, ah, no, you, you've come too far. Don't you go back there. And so we found, too, that the closer we get to God and the more we obey, if we go, ah, oh, well, we'll send out this one order. But, well, disaster strikes, <laughs> you know, things go wrong. And it's almost like God going, I told you, don't don't do that. You know, you, you just basically open yourself up to things. Not that he's doing these things, but, you know, you you, you disobey and you open yourself up to stuff and the closer you are to God, the, the literal, the, 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 what am I trying to say? The smaller the issue can be that uh, reaps a, a, a corrective punishment, if you will. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the short leash, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you've, you've come too far. Don't go over there. And it's like immediately, you know, Ooh, okay, not doing that again, because I, I obviously knew why that happened. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely see him doing that with men in the Bible, too, where he gives them a little task to see if you're going to be faithful, right? Yep. And then you are, and then you well, you get another one, and it's like, hey, now you need to take your son up and, you know, Isaac and uh, Abraham. Uh, how would you say your faith, like, what does it look like on a day-to-day basis? Is there any, like, let's think in a sense of, like, how you could encourage someone. Um, what, what would a man of God do daily to kind of walk in? You know, in ironically, faith? I... I was kind of struggling with that because, you know, when you're starting a business and that kind of thing, we've been going for like a year or so, but like, you know, we're doing this business on the side. So, you know, I do this thing before work, during lunch, after hours, you know, we try to respect the ministry time is ministry time. And then we do this kind of thing on the outskirts, right? We do it on the evenings and weekends and that kind of stuff and mornings. And so, you know, we were kind of struggling with that and we need a business coach. So online, 
ironically, my, my, so in doing that is what I'm trying to say is that I kind of lost track of my faith. And, you know, I, I'm working for a ministry during the day and you know how work gets sometimes it, 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 it's almost this dangerous crossover where work becomes faith. And after work is done, it's kind of like you want faith stuff to be done. <laughs> Sounds horrible, but you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, is that from working in a ministry? You mean? Yeah. Yeah. It just okay, it becomes gotcha. your, your work gets melded with your, with your faith. And it's just, sometimes that's not a good thing. That's why I'm, I'm sure that's why a lot of, you know, pastors go astray and that we hear of in the news and things like that. But, um, so one of the things that brought me back on track was a business course. I found a business course online that was Christian. I thought, oh, this is great. I've been wondering how to bring my business to the next level. We've had business coaches before, but never Christian. It's the first time I found this. And their, one of their main principles was you start the day with prayer. You start the day by stopping. You don't start the day by going into your emails and doing this and doing that. No. His thing was take 60 seconds, stop, relax. Thank God for all the blessings in your life. Tell him the things that you want in your life. Tell him how you, how you are believing him for where you want to go in business. What do you want for your family? What do you want to do for ministry? All these types of things. And every day, this is a thing. This is how you start your day. It's a new routine. And then there's, you know, read a, a verse of the day type of thing. Now, keep in mind, this is a, a Christian entrepreneurship. It's not a, a messianic thing or Torah observant by any stretch. So they're getting you to go to a Bible app and read the, the verse of the day. And that type mm -hmm. of thing. But one yeah. thing I think I, I learned that was very valuable um, as a messianic is that, or Torah observant, whatever you want to call it, is when we get into this faith where we are literally learning a lot more than we knew as Christians, I think as you know, Christians going to a regular church, I think we get a little prideful and it's almost this schoolyard. Hey, hey, I know more than you do type of thing. Right. And we get this sort of high horse mentality and almost this arrogance about knowing things. And uh, sometimes we forget about the serving part and we, we, we get caught up in the knowing things. And then, you know, that kind of leads to, well, everything I knew in the old world, anything quote unquote, just regular Christian is now inferior to me, you know, and so we throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I say that because this, this business, uh, <laughs> this, this business course had us, they said, this is something that is non-negotiable. You must download and listen to the Joel Osteen podcast every day. Nice. And a lot of people, Joel Osteen rubs them the wrong way in the first place. And as a messianic, he's like, oh, that is like the cookie cutter Christian thing I stepped away from. I never want anything to do with that ever. And so I thought, okay, all right. So, and, and they're keeping track of you too. There's a daily thing where you have to say, yes, I listened to the, you know, and if you're a believer, you want to be honest about it. So yeah. I started oh, like, oh man, I've got to listen to Joel Osteen, oh, whatever. <laughs> so I start listening to him. And boy, did I learn something. Joel Osteen's got a lot of good stuff to say that I had discounted because I had an arrogance I did not see. And I thought he was inferior. No, I'm not listening to him. I'm so, I know so far much more than he does as this regular, you know, this, this television evangelist type of thing. But he is really good. And I learned to say, you know what? I don't know everything and father forgive me for thinking I did. And I'm going to take this advice that Joel Osteen has. I'm going to take it to heart because you know what? It's good. I just so get off guy. my high horse and say, you know what? He's good. 
And that's what I learned is just to, just to use that morning time to get back into things. And what I'm trying to say is open your world up to things that you don't think are worthy of your attention. Because there's some good stuff out there that we're missing out on and we're in danger of getting arrogant if we don't do that to some degree. That's awesome. I like that. I have a similar uh, path God kind of took me on. I mean, he just kind of led me into this maybe 10 months ago, I like to say, uh, where I, I mean, I'm, I have a five kids. I've been married for 14 years and there's been a lot of ups and downs, but 10 months ago was when I started just getting up at 5 a.m., right? I've seen guys like Jaco Willick, like he posts like, a, I don't know if he gets up at 4 a.m., like every day he takes a picture of his watch. Um, and I'm like, well, I can't do that, but uh, I know I need to get in the word more because I used to do that before kids because I had time. And then now that I'm working and working on entrepreneurial things and searching for businesses to buy, like my time is just crunk. Like it's just used up. And so I just consistently said like, all right, I'm going to do it consistently, you know, and I did it. I just wake up, you know, I like reading, you know, something from Deuteronomy, a chapter, some Psalm, a proverb, and then like gospel, a chapter in the gospels and just, and pray. And to me, that has been a game changer. I'm telling you three months after that, just, I had just more motivation. It's like, I had to sow into this part of me, that my spirit that, um, it, and it took months to kind of get the fruit, but kind of the same thing. Like it was, you got to take the morning time and commit it. Cause that, that's the only thing that's consistent is when you wake up, like you got guaranteed, you get to choose what you want to do there because you don't know what's coming in life the rest of the day. And especially if you got five kids or whatever, or if you're a busy entrepreneur. So I encourage people to do that, that same thing and keep it up, Scott. That's, that's awesome. So, and I like what you're saying about just even taking teaching from Joel Olstein, who he gets a lot of shade thrown at him a lot. Like he's a big target and, and I'm, he says things that, you know, he kind of, he's not going to be right a hundred percent of the time. And, sure. yeah. uh, and we don't know his heart, but you know, I'm kind of to the point where I have my belief, you know, I can learn from fundamental Christian, you know, Baptist people. I could, um, I can respect a Muslim person, uh, a Mormon person, like different, um, face, like they're not a hundred percent bad. Like we believe a little differently on the end goal. And I think that's important, but there are still people, there's still good aspects to their faith. Um, and if we, I think if we approach it that way, like we can, we don't have to like, I don't know. We can have conversations with those people and not be so freaked out. I feel like Christians, like we're kind of trained to red flag people. And so, Oh, you don't talk to a Muslim. Don't talk to a Mormon. Don't, don't, don't. And it's like, no, we do need to talk to each other and, and show respect that way. So I like that. I think that we're going to be very, I said to someone the other day, I think we're going to be very surprised on the day of judgment who who's in and who's out. There you go. Because, you know, even to your point earlier, you're mm -hmm. mentioning something that I've often said to folks is that, even if you are, you know, giving 10%, you know, sometimes that's not even a believer who's doing that. So, it's, you know, a, a big business owner like, you know, Elon Musk or Donald Trump or somebody, you know, somebody who's got billions, why are they being blessed? Well, maybe they're following God's laws on business and not even realizing it. You know, yeah. God's laws are God's laws. They work. It doesn't depend on how you believe. That may be really kind of an earth shattering thing for folks, but hey, 
The law of gravity is a law of gravity. The law of God is a law of God. You follow it, even if you don't know you're doing it. I mean, no, there's exactly. even a Bible, there's a verse on that in the Bible that says, you know, even if you're doing things unaware, things are going to, you're going to be blessed if you're doing things the right way. Yeah. I read a book by Rabbi Daniel Lappin and he, he talked about that in there just mm. you doing the tie like it was like the business principles like for or the biblical something biblical principles from the bible and it was just that like uh yeah giving there's a real, there's something good that comes back to you for that it's kind of like i like saying like if you say you pick a commandment like you don't lie right and you're don't even know god but if you don't lie your life is that much better. You're just not dealing with all that hurt and confusion you're sending out into the world. Like you're, there is something good that happens in your life. If, and there, we know there's, you know, people that are not of faith. They just, they don't lie. Mm -hmm. um, that know. goes as far as the health thing too. I mean, people say, you know, I've heard of folks, like when I worked with the Hallelujah Diet and people were turning their life around and their health around with food, or, you know, choosing the right foods and that kind of thing. We learned that, you know, there's folks in a hospital bed who, you know, atheists, essentially, that as long as they thought positively and they say, I'm walking out of this bed, I'm getting out of here on February 15th, this cancer was going to be gone. Da, da, da. Well, lo and behold, it was gone. And people say, oh, that's witchcraft. And I'm, mm. you know what? I think God has built us in ways that we don't understand yet. And there's a lot of power that we have to our thoughts and how we speak. And it's kind of like that same thing with the law of God, with the entrepreneur who gives and doesn't even know it's going to bless him, but it does. There's a whole lot of principles out there about God that we don't even understand yet that he's built into us. And yes, we can speak our healing. Yes, we can speak good, good things into our lives, even if we don't recognize who it's coming from. It will still happen. It's built into us. You know, whether people call that speaking into the universe or whatever, well, it's speaking to Yehovah is what it is. Yeah. It's, but it's built put, into every human. He put that, soft. it's like software. He just put it in there. Like, and Good, if you yeah, use it, like if that. you use that software, this, uh, the, the algorithm works and then out pops the, the output, right? Yep. That's and, good. And the thing is, we just don't know, right? I mean, I know God even says like, his children die for lack of knowledge. Anywhere we have lack well, now we're missing out on whatever abundance and good things God does have for us because you just don't know. You're doing something wrong uh, against the laws he's put into this earth, right? Um, and so, anyways, that's why I do just, I love the Bible. I love the truth. I love hearing from people like you and everybody. It's like, uh, was it Proverbs 27 or 17, but iron sharpens iron uh, verse. Uh, so one man sharpens another, like you just got to keep having conversations and share what you think and, uh, hear what other people have to say. Don't just always be the one talking because you're going to learn from that. Uh, and then hopefully pick up some principles that are true that bring good, um, fruit to your garden, to your life. So that's awesome. Definitely see eye to eye on that, Scott. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the way you put that. That was beautiful. Like software. Yeah. That's the only way I can think of it. Like <laughs> I relate to it. It's, it's, it's there. You want to use it because it's makes things easier. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Tell me about your family. And I know we got a funny, uh, story about your daughter's nickname. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell that real quick. So when she was a baby, you know, when you're, you're, so you have five kids, you understand this. I've only got yeah. two kids. You're way ahead of me, but, um, you know, when you're changing the baby's diaper to keep them from 
getting you know cranky you you talk to them and you say silly things to them and you make little rhymes and make them make them giggle and that type of thing so when we were and it was just sort of the, the cadence the way it came out and we we're we call our we say to our daughter you're a sneaky butt from arkansas <laughs> it just kind of rolled off the tongue <laughs> and, and it made it make her giggle so we like yeah. sneaky butt from arkansas so anyway, so keep in mind, we're living in Saskatchewan, Canada. If you don't know where that is, it's like right above North Dakota slash Montana, right around up there. Okay. Real cold. Cold. Prairie, open prairie. The wind just never stops type of thing. Anyway, so we're up there. Never even heard of North Carolina, much less, you know, Arkansas. So long story short, we get here. My daughter's in gymnastics her whole life. She turns out to be very good. She's uh, on the Canadian national team. She actually went to Belgium and uh, competed against a girl who ended up being in the Olympics and this type of thing. And so she's actually awesome. very good. And she was um, uh, actually training to be on the Canadian Olympic team while we are down here, living down here. She's about 14, 15 years old at that point. And she was about to, uh, to go up to Canada. She was training in Montreal to be part of the Canadian national team and the, uh, the Olympic trials were one week away and she, she broke her elbow, which was unfortunate, but so that oh. one piece of the, well, she, I'd never seen a girl so angry in my whole life, but anyway, she's uh, anyway, so that was one part of the story, but as sort of a detraction, the main part of the story to do with this stinky butt from Arkansas thing as a baby, um, she was competing and, and at these competitions at high levels, she was, you know, at the top of her game and 14, 15 years old and colleges start looking at you, that type of thing. And they send scouts to the gymnastics competitions. So after one of these gymnastics competitions, usually the, the coaches from different colleges will come up and say, Hey, my name is so-and-so from this college. Maybe we'd like you to come down and take a look at our college and take a look around. And maybe we'd like to talk to you and, you know, see what the future holds. No promises, that type of thing. So this one college uh, scout has her business card in hand. She's brand new at doing this. Doesn't know she's not supposed to do this, but she did it anyway. And then once it's out of the bag, it's out of the bag. She comes up to my daughter's coach and says, hi, my name is so-and-so from the University of Arkansas. We want Sydney to attend and we're going to give her a full ride. Like that. <laughs> so it's like, Okay, I guess we're not going to say no to that. And lo and behold, long story short, she ends up going to the University of Arkansas. This kid from Saskatchewan, Canada, who comes down with her because her dad got a job in North Carolina. And 20 years after we started calling her stinky butt from Arkansas, this is why God had us do this silly little rhyme with this little baby was because she was going to be going to the University of Arkansas. And now she's there today working on a doctorate to become a physical therapist. Awesome. You guys spoke that into existence. <laughs> it, well, you know, it's sort of like what, this is crazy. Another thing happened like that, just real quick, where how we got down to North Carolina. Um, God just kept showing me things from North Carolina. I'd hear a, nor a news story about North Carolina, a radio show about North Carolina. I keep coming home and tell my wife about this. This is kind of bizarre how this is happening. And then lo and behold, we end up in North Carolina. Family-wise, what have you kind of learned, like... You know, you, what we say, you were married 26 years. Yeah. That's kind of rare in these day, this day and age. So what was the backbone behind that? Uh, my, this longevity here. The secret of it. Okay. The yeah. secret of it is my wife who, thank God she had, um, her parents were divorced and she was very young, like two years old. Uh, you know, she's seen divorce. She's seen all kinds of crazy stuff, alcoholism and all this. And she decided no, 
when it's time, it's time. And when I marry, it's forever. I mean, barring any kind of infidelity, it's going to be forever. So that is the fortunate thing I have with my wife. She's not just going to get tired of me one day and leave. So that's sure. that's one thing. So that's to my wife, Jody. She is the, the main reason for that. But it's just being patient with each other and being willing to work together. And, you know, something we found just during COVID, uh, we both started working from home. We thought, oh, boy, this is going to be challenging. Um, but no, it wasn't. It was the greatest thing. We get to have lunches together. We get to reacquaint each reacquaint ourselves with each other because, you know, as you're growing up with, you know, bringing your kids up, sometimes the, the, the husband and wife relationship kind of takes a back seat. You're just trying to raise the kids and give them the best opportunity. And there's only so much time. So now that our son is 19, our daughter's 23, we've, you know, sort of, wow, it's almost like we're newlyweds again. We're getting to know each other. This is great. So it's staying on the same page. I think teaching your kids and being diligent about, you know, teaching them, especially as us guys, um, really when we're doing something like the Torah, you know, to teach the kids that we are commanded to do that. And we don't just leave it up to our wives, which often happens in Western society. I think guys, we've got to take that responsibility. And so, you know, whenever it came time to teach the Bible and things like that, that'd be my job. And my wife would do the rest of the homeschool stuff. But and, and granted, she did most of the homeschool stuff and usually, you know, most of the Bible stuff. But we have a role to play. And I think that's something guys are forgetting. And that's really the I think is the the kingpin of, of what's going on in the world these days is, is men are not taking their responsibility in the home seriously. They're not doing it the way the Bible says it should be done. And that's really a lot of cause of a lot of the issues we've got today. So I, I would say just, you know, if we if we learn things about the Bible, teach it to our children and be diligent about it. I think that's it, too, is just being consistent. Consistency is probably the greatest thing. Make sure you're consistent so the kids see that there is a way to do things. And it's not just an easy out if you don't want to. I love what you're saying. Uh, I think my wife has the more consistent um strength and she does the homeschooling she does a lot of the teaching and, and I'm waking up to like my responsibility really, to be honest, I've been, I've lacked a lot. And so, um, in that Deuteronomy six, where it talks about like when you're coming and going, I think it is, um, like talk about this, talk about God's word and, and the truth to just like all the time. It's like when you wake up and so I, I really, resonate with what you're saying there and i'm in the midst of trying to do that and do it well you know yeah, well listen it. we're not nobody's perfect i'm not perfect you know i was like it's we kids are 23 and 19 like i said and there's yeah. so many things i thought oh i wish i could just go back and do this or not do that you know the, the other thing too is um okay here's a mistake we made i think it's a now is it a mistake or not i mean it was sure. i mentioned the gymnastics thing my daughter got a full ride to a scholarship, you know, to a school. And at the time we were international. She was an international student because she was still Canadian. So that scholarship was worth over $200,000. Wow. So, you know, okay. Was that a mistake or not? But in the meantime, a lot of the uh, competitions were on a Sabbath. What do you do? That type of thing, by the way. Sure. Speaking of God keeping us on a short leash, that one time when my, my daughter broke her elbow before the Olympic trials, that was the one time we allowed her coach to to uh, have a special, just a regular training session on a Shabbat. Interesting. And, and we got a call while well, in the middle of Shabbat, come get Sydney, she's broken her elbow. Hmm. 
So that was a hard, hard lesson. But and I honestly think there was a lesson there. But but anyway, so what I'm saying is with sports, parents, be careful with sports. Yes, you know, if your kid's good at stuff, what do you do? Yes, it can get them a scholarship. So, okay, so you have a competition on Shabbat. What do you do? We tried to do the best we could where if we're staying at a hotel, you know, as Torah observant believers, we don't want to pay for things on Shabbat, right? So we tried to pay for it before. And if we're going to a meal, we bring our own food, you know, being vegans for many years, you know, you kind of prepare your own stuff anyway, because, you know, it's kind of what you do. But so we brought our own food. We, we would try not to aggress, go to a restaurant, make anybody else work and just trying to stay out of everybody's way in the hotel as much as we could so that at least we were trying to obey the Torah as much as we could. So in that, you know, the kids see that too, as you know, parents, your, your kids will see this. So make sure that you're thinking, especially on Shabbats and things like this, where there's a challenge of here's a worldly thing we're doing and it falls on the Shabbat. Now, what do you do? Now you have to be creative and do the best you can. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of believers like they're say that the, it gets about your heart. And even as where we are at, like, I kind of still think it's the same. Like, is your focus about the Lord that day? and your family like that's and not just your pleasures but if that sport can bring your family together you know and bring good yeah maybe but you got you know everyone has to decide for themselves so no yeah that's 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 interesting let's let you uh say where people can get a hold of you one more time and if they want to do the the coaching program or the blood stuff um let me put that up here real quick we got the website here Ah, thank you. Yes. When you go to the website, it's uh, so lairdwellness.com. I'm uh, pretty easy. And then it's the first thing when you, if you were to scroll down underneath that picture, it'd be the first thing on the bot on the left. Uh, it's just a little red picture. It shows a, uh, a vial. Oh, there you go. Right there. Blood panel and consult right there. That is mm-hmm. the discovery panel 349. And then of course you have the option if you want to do those spike protein, uh, uh, extra panels or extra markers you can do that as well so that's where that is and if you want to dive right into the eight-week program you know right away you want to do it that's simple too lairdwellness.com slash the number eight weeks all run together eight weeks lairdwellness.com slash eight weeks and you'll see a a way that you can contact us we'll talk about it and uh, see if it's right for you because some folks uh, it's not right for them so we'd like to talk to you first that's awesome uh I really appreciate this conversation today, Scott. And uh, so this concludes episode two of a Father's Flame podcast. Subscribe and share this out to others who might need to hear this. So, uh, and finally, be strong in the faith, lead your family diligently, and keep learning to be successful in your business and be a good steward of your temple, your body, uh, because you only get one. And so until next time, 